The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And the offender refuses to listen even to the church. Let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you call us to be your people and that you make us into your community, people of the church, people of the way, people called Christian. Be with us this day. Amen. So, want to just make a general statement about the text before I start. So the text is about one person sinning against another. And, and so, and then it tells you how to end it. Start with one, go to two people or three, then to the whole church, and then treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. That is not, Gentile and tax collector is not excommunication. That is outreaching to those who are not part of the community. So it's a continuing outreaching. And then I tell you, bind on earth, bound in heaven, loose on loose, loose in heaven. And then there's a phrase that we quote quite often, and I've heard it used for those who, uh, how do I say it? They want to win the lottery, and so they have two or three together praying for the lottery ticket. I don't think it works that way. But what's important there is, if two of you agree about anything you ask, the two that agree are the two people that are having the fight. So you have to remember that. It's going to come up in my sermon, and uh, I just thought I'd give you a quick hit in case you want to take a nap when I start. So, Bruce Larson is talking about a conversation a missionary named Ruth Seabury had with a Hindu social worker. And the social worker asked Ruth, do you think that most Christians know what they've got? And she was perplexed. And then he said, every religion has a God. Every religion has an altar. Every religion has worshipers. 
Every religion has a sacrifice. But only Christians have a Savior, and only Christians have a congregation. A Savior and a congregation. Last Sunday you heard Pastor Jelaine talk about the most important thing in faith is to have a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. That theme continues today. Theologian Frederick Beekner writes, Faith is not so much believing this or that, but it's hearing a voice which says, Come unto me. And we hear the voice, and we start to go without really knowing what it is to believe either the voice or ourselves. And yet we go. And so we stand there in the darkness, and a hand is there, and we take it. That means God is acting, and we react to God. So what does this church look like that Matthew is writing to? The church having a fight. Well, the largest church in Matthew's day, the largest, would be 50 members. Most churches were 20 to 30 people. Most of those churches were related to each other as a family gathering, and that makes it understandable when one person has a fight with another that it would disrupt the whole church. But Matthew, in his writing, we can interpret Matthew's writing one of two ways. Either he's writing after Christ, and we're looking back to what Jesus is saying, or Matthew is writing saying, Jesus said this stuff looking forward. Either way, doesn't matter. What it tells us is the church, from the very beginning, was not perfect. Therefore, we should not expect our church to be perfect. Believers will sin against one another, and it's been that way from the very beginning. Scott Peck has a book called People of the Lie. If you ever want to have a good read, it's not terribly easy, but it's a good read. Read his book, People of the Lie. And in it, he talks about sin and evil. It is not their sins, per se, that characterize evil people. Rather, it is the subtlety, the persistence, and the consistency of their sins. This is because the central defect of the evil is not sin, but the refusal to acknowledge it. 
he goes on, evil is most often committed in order to scapegoat other people. And the people I label as evil are chronic scapegoaters. In other words, the evil attacks others instead of facing their own failures. Spiritual growth requires acknowledgement of one's need to grow. If we cannot make that acknowledgement, we have no option except to scapegoat the other and eradicate our evidence of imperfection. According to Peck, committing sins is not the same thing as being evil. We all commit sins, but it's the sinners who won't listen to the one or the two or the three or to the church that need to be removed, not because they're sinners, but because they are evil, unwilling to listen to the truth about their sins, attacking others instead of facing their own failures. So we look at troubles in a church and we see that it is sin, but sometimes it's more than sin. Sometimes it's evil. That evil can also show itself by putting all the problems on one person or one family. And you hear the quote, if we just got rid of that family, we would be so much better off. Sometimes that is true. But sometimes the desire to remove one family or one person is really just scapegoating by another evil person. Unfortunately, forgiveness and reconciliation are not always our primary motives in dealing with others. Sometimes anger and revenge take over. So what do we do? How do we handle reconciliation in the church? We look to Jesus. Jesus brings us forgiveness and reconciliation to earthly conflicts where the two or three that are fighting come together in the name of Jesus and they pray for an answer. Two or three that are having a fight and they come together and they pray in the presence of Jesus. It changes the whole image of what's happening. Us Christians have to live in faith, and we live it in community. We have individual faith, but that's not as important as the community faith. In order to have reconciliation be important, we need one another to have prayer. We need one another to understand and experience Christ in our midst. We need one another so that we can bear each other's burdens. We need one another so that we can share our joys. 
last week. Lots of joy. And you shared it with me. When Christianity was illegal and believers were not in the mainstream of society, they needed each other to help keep the faith. We need each other to be a Christian. So we write and we look at Matthew. Matthew spends a lot of time talking about the community, authentic, real Christian community. After 40 years of being in the ministry, I've learned two things. Okay, maybe only one. One is, we all say we want community. And two, we don't know how to do it. I think we imagine something like Cheers, the TV show, okay? Cheers, a place where you're accepted for who you are, a place where you're never lonely, and a place where everyone knows your name. lubricated by beer. Okay. The real problem with community, though, is community is made up of people. And when I look in the mirror and I see that people there in the mirror, sometimes I see difficult, challenging, selfish, and unreliable people. And I would guess, on an honest morning, you look in the mirror and you can tell me what you see. The hard part is, we as a Christian community, even when we look in the mirror, we have to invite people back in. Luke 17, if the person sins against you seven times, you must turn back seven times and say, I repent, you must forgive. Seven times. The other version says 70 times seven. Both of them mean forever. Part of what we do is forgive. Our temptation is to exclude. But we look at Jesus. And we see, what did he do? They're in the upper room. They're having the last meal. Jesus turns to Judas and says, go and do what you must do. Implied. Come back. Table fellowship is not broken. Peter denies Jesus three times. And he is forgiven. Judas hung himself and ended, at least in this lifetime, the community of forgiveness. So what do we learn? When we're having a fight in the church, what do we learn? The text kind of leans saying, Pick the side that the church is on. 
and make judgments accordingly. But many times, the church is on both sides, and both sides are right. And each side claiming that God is on their side. And they're right. Division in the church means that one part of the body of Christ disagrees with another part of the body of Christ, and we're human. Okay, maybe we can't figure out which side is right. Maybe we can look at sin. Who sinned? And then we can tell what we can do. But sin isn't any better. Forty years of doing marriage counseling, sin is equally divided. Both sides are right in a marriage fight. And the truth is somewhere between the two sides. So what do we do? We look to Christ. Are what we say hurt others? Is our self-interest only allowing to see how we have been offended and not how we offend others? We feel wronged? But have we wronged another? We look to Jesus. And it's tempting to say, I'm right, and condemn the other and bind up the sins of our opponent. Is that what Jesus did? Even for the one who betrayed him? Where's the humility? Where's the concern for the weaker brother or sister? The only rule that applies is that last rule, the final promise. If we gather as the church, the promise is Jesus is with us. If we are the church, Christ is there, where two or three are gathered. So what do we do? Do we have our arguments? Yes, but let's do them with kindness. If Jesus is with us on our side, don't we approach the other side like Jesus? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Fights come and go. I've seen a fight over what color the carpet will be. Good grief. Some of us are colorblind and don't care. We are the church, and Christ is with us, no matter what fight we have. And it makes a difference in the world. 
We believe that Christ is reconciling the whole world unto God's self and to one another. That means how we fight makes a difference to how the world is looking for us to give an answer. People want to know, you say you love Christ and Christ loves you, then prove it. When that person comes along who pushes us, who is really difficult, can we still stay in touch? Can we focus on God's love? Can we rejoice and be glad in that day? Can we love? We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. We are the church, and Christ is with us. Amen.